millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 132, we discuss how much of an impact the Women's World Cup on Fox had on MLS and NWSL TV ratings. Man City launches their own OTT streaming service. NBC delivers another hammer blow to fans of Premier League clubs, plus letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, we're in the dog days of summer. It's, it's, it's hot as hell out there. Um, there, is, there is quite a lot of soccer on television. I know you've been busy uh, with Miami FC and their run in the uh, MPSL, and I've been busy because I'm getting ready to move. I'm going to be moving uh, to Jacksonville, which is in North Florida, so I've been packing like crazy. So I haven't watched as many games as I normally do. Uh, how about you? What's your uh, soccer watching been like? Uh, no, I mean, I, I tried to watch, uh, I DVR'd the uh, Portland-Orlando game on N- uh, NWSL match on ESPN News. Uh, it was running concurrent with the Hemersley FC match, a club here in South Florida that I'm uh, the vice president of and a co-owner of, uh, that uh, we were playing in the Super Cup. We had won the league postseason, the cup competition, if you will, uh, in our league, and the uh, uh, team that we played had won the um, – the, the regular season had won the you know, the points title, uh, so we had a super cup. We won that match, but was running along the same side as the uh, the Portland Orlando game. And the mistake I made is I get alerts for the pride anyway on my phone. I had not um, turned my alerts off, so it was ding 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 every every two minutes because we're four three match, particularly in the second half. Um, so I went back and watched that on ESPN News uh, on the DVR, but fast forwarded through everything. And uh, because I knew when the goals were coming and then I realized I've deleted it. I've saw Portland one, four, three and um, realized I probably should have watched more carefully for ESPN's coverage of NWSL. This being their first uh, first match that they're showing on ESPN news after the women's world cup. Uh, so the next time they show an error match, which is in the next few weeks, I will, which is this week, I believe I will uh, pay more close attention to the actual coverage of it. There's an art in fast forwarding uh, soccer games. I mean, probably some of the listeners can uh, attest to this in terms of you mean how fast to do i mean if you don't know what the, what the actual score is or who sc- who scored and you're short on time and you need to fast forward a little bit just to get through the game uh and try to fast forward where you're uh, fast forward in the action but you mean if it gets close to the goal maybe you slow it down a little bit or maybe you pause it and, and press play again uh, i remember i mean many many years ago i had my cousin over from from wales and we were watching i think it was a spurs game we we had a go because we had a I mean, an appointment to go to or something. And we were fast-forwarding like crazy just to try to get through the game. And I kept on missing goals. I had no idea. Spurs, like, like, like goals, three goals, four goals, five goals. So we missed them all because I kept on fast-forwarding and then had to rewind it, which takes away the whole experience and the emotion and the excitement. Kind of killed it for us. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm sure there's, there's some uh, connoisseurs out there, some of the listeners who are, are skilled at uh, the fast-forwarding to, to, you mean, to, to not screw it up. Yeah, with the MyCujo platform, uh, we've made it almost too easy. And we were talking this up during the last Miami FC broadcast against Chattanooga. There are bookmarks on the on the thing on MyCujo, who, which is of course a soccer platform or football platform exclusively, that you could actually just 
scroll to them. If you're watching on a computer, if you're watching on a, a TV, then uh, fast forward to a, uh, a bookmark on the bottom, which tells you where the goal was, where the card was, what incidents in the match. Um, Technology. Which is something I bet ESPN Plus will do eventually, I'm guessing. Maybe, maybe. That's a great feature, though. That's something that uh, I think most of us can use. I mean, some of us probably would want the element of surprise where we're not sure when those things are going to happen. Um, but I think for most of us, yeah, that'd be a great, great feature for a lot of these streaming platforms. Um, so in terms of games, I saw um, there's only two I saw this past week, and that was um, Algeria against Nigeria in the semi-final of the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, just a, a great, uh, great match, kind of back and forth, end to end. Goals. I think I think actually uh, I think it was Nigeria went, went ahead first, and Algeria came back, and with the very last kick of the game, I think it was even in injury time. Riyad Mahrez uh, for Algeria had an opportunity from a free kick outside the box. And he takes it and just scores a beautiful goal right in the corner. And Algeria and the fans and the players go absolutely nuts. Uh, and now they move through to, to the final against uh, Senegal. So far, and, and actually that one was a better better pitch that they played on. Um, and uh, more, more people in, in the stadium. So in the earlier rounds of the Africa Cup of Nations, it has been pretty lackluster in terms of the atmosphere. Uh, but this semi-final was fantastic, and I'm looking forward to watching the uh, Algeria-Senegal uh, final, which should be a, a good one, which is li- live on BN Sports, by the way. And, and then also caught uh, Yeovil Town, who are now in the non-league against Swansea City, uh, a friendly this, this midweek, and uh, watched that for free uh, uh, from the uh, Swansea City website, and thoroughly enjoyed that one, getting, getting excited for the new season, which will be here in just a couple of weeks. All right, Kartik, th- th- so that's it for our uh, TV watching, but let's, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news, and, and actually there's quite a bit of news this week. Yeah, so the first piece of news uh, I think uh, was met with a lot of fanfare, which was Man City for TV launches, and it's uh, going to be this very, very, uh, as reported by World Soccer Talk, affordable monthly um, on-demand service that gives Man City fans or whoever subscribes, right, uh, for uh, a a pound 99 a month, uh, all kinds of on-demand, all sorts of extra features, all sorts of ancillary things around the club, which um, is uh, taking advantage, I think, one of Manchester City's marketing prowess, but also, Chris, the fantastic uh, amount of video, richness of video that they provide. Um, and this will be a, a service that's available on all your kind of Roku, Fire Stick, um, Apple TV-type devices. Yeah, it's, it's a smart move because uh, Manchester City, in terms of the player base, I mean, the players... It, it has a global appeal. I mean, you've got Brazilians, you've got, uh, I mean, people from around the world in terms of uh, players, you've got Belgians and you, mean, you name it. So globally, it's a great way for uh, Manchester City to have programming. So some of it's going to be full match replays. Obviously, it's going to be a delay. They're not going to be able to show it um, usually within the first uh, 48 hours. There will be a delay. But they will be able to show uh, the women's games live, the, the academy games live. And some documentaries that they're they're putting together, um, as well as other like press conferences and, and other programming. And and the the sweet thing about this too is just the like you mentioned the price point. You mentioned a dollar ninety nine, actually one pound ninety nine, which is a roughly about two dollars and seventy cents a month. So if you are a Manchester City fan, uh, it's it's definitely attractive. It's definitely worth checking out. And um, hopefully more and more clubs will do this at that price point because usually in the past, if there has been any kind of uh, TV channel, club TV channel, which uh, oftentimes is available through just through the website, uh, it's pretty expensive or can be pretty expensive. And with this one, it's on, I think it's on Roku, Apple TV, uh, the web and, and other places. So they've made it really accessible, uh, very cost effective and have, have a lot of good, good programming. Uh, the other thing about, about Manchester City, too, is that um, they are one of the most forward-thinking uh, social media companies, clubs, uh, with, with social media programs. Like, for example, I think it was, would have been last summer, uh, seeing Manchester City in the International Champions Cup in, in Miami. And usually, there's, whenever a club comes, comes to town, that club will have, like, one person doing the social media stuff and he's in the press press room and he's you mean live blogging or you mean just updating fans um 
through the website, text by, text by uh, minute by minute commentary, etc. Manchester City must have had a team of about six or seven people. Um, they had photographers, they had videogra- videographers, they had. It was just a large presence, a large team, and that's something I've never seen before in a press room to have that many people for an away game. You mean you mean thousands of miles away from from the home club? So from the digital side of things, Manchester City have been knocking it out of the park for for several seasons, and this is a smart move. So um, we'll have to wait and see uh, how this uh, evolves, but uh, it's promising. Now. Less promising is the news this week that uh, we revealed on World Soccer Talk um, as a follow-up to what we talked about last week, where there's been a lot of changes to NBC Sports Gold. And most soccer fans are either on vacation or uh, in hibernation or just taking a break, basically, uh, during the summer before the season starts. And a lot of these soccer fans uh, of Premier League clubs are going to be in for a big surprise once the new Premier League season starts uh, August 9th. And that is that with NBC Sports Gold, with their paid streaming uh, service, if you want to watch a game, uh, say, say it's a 7.30 uh, kickoff in the morning on, on an Eastern time on a Saturday, and you want to watch um, Man City against Spurs, um, but you miss it. You're either traveling <clears throat> or you slept in late or whatever, and you want to go ahead and watch that uh, on demand. Previously, you would just go to NBCSports.com uh, or the NBC Sports app, and you would watch it on delay, you mean, usually you mean, within about an hour after the game has ended, you, you could watch it through there uh, at no extra charge as long as you were an NBCSN subscriber. Well, that has gone completely. Now it is that um, all of the full match replays are only going to be available on the NBC Sports Gold uh, streaming service, which is $65 a season. Not only that, though, but um, the games that are on television that are available then on streaming through the NBC Sports Gold app will not be available until 9 p.m. Eastern time uh, on match days. So that game that you watched at 7.30, that's over at 9.30 in the morning Eastern time, you have to wait almost 12 hours before that game is available on demand. And by that point, it's pretty much meaningless at that point because you already know what the score is. You've probably seen the highlights, and that that full match replay has little to no uh, really purpose, really. So it's um, and then and then the other thing, even for the games that you subscribe to through the NBC Sports Gold app, the ones that are um, streaming, say the ten o'clock Eastern uh, games, um, those for the season coming up now um, are not going to be available on demand until four hours after the game has ended. So. NBC is making it harder to watch the Premier League. They're putting up obstacles and restrictions and barriers to make it harder to watch uh, and at the same time generate, well, asking, asking for more, more money, a 30% increase on the price. Kartik, um, I've heard from several people this, this week and this, this, actually last, last two weeks that enough's enough and, and they're going to start watching more of other leagues. They're going to start watching more of Serie A, watching more of the championship or looking for other leagues to watch because uh, NBC is making it harder to watch the Premier League. What's your take? Do you think that this would happen or does the Premier League has ha- have such a pull that these fans will, will end up watching the Premier League anyway? I don't know because I think that, that American fans in particular have, uh, in it, I've been pretty outspoken on this, it bothers me how kind of myopic they are about the Premier League versus other leagues. A lot of Premier League fans in the U.S. that they they just look down upon other leagues. They don't really want to consider other leagues. If uh, a Premier League team wins in Europe, it's because the Premier League's better. If a Premier League team loses in Europe, it's because they're in a more competitive league and have to play a tougher game at the weekend, and, and the Bundesliga team or Serie A team did not. So, um, I don't know. I, I've Even if people say, hey, we're not happy with what NBC's doing, I just have this feeling that they're so drawn to that league and to the, to the propaganda that that league has put out for years, which gets routinely mocked on shows like the Guardian podcast, but is out there and has been particularly effective in the United States, plus NBC's superior coverage of that league for the first six years of their, their two um, rights uh, cycles, that... Um, they, they they may say that they may huff and puff, but they may not actually do that. I think the attachment to the Premier League 
is probably too great. But I'd, it'd be great to see some more diversity in thought and, and in uh, football viewing for uh, a lot of fans in the U.S. I would welcome if they if they watch more of the championship or if they watch more of uh, uh, of Serie A or Bundesliga or La Liga or whatever league it is, uh, or even Major League Soccer, uh, which is uh, is much more accessible via ESPN Plus uh, than it than it was in the uh, um, MLS Live days. So uh, I, let's see. Yeah, and one more thing about this too is is the pro tip on this one is that uh, if you do subscribe to NBCSN through your cable or satellite company or through a third-party uh, streaming platform like at Sling TV or Fubo TV, is that for those games that are on television uh, for the Premier League, is DVR them, record them, and uh, even if you're not sure whether or not you're going to be able to watch it or, or, or you think you're going to be able to, able to watch it, DVR it because that way that that's the only way that you can guarantee yeah, that yeah. if you do miss a match you can actually watch it a little bit later ha- rather than having to wait until nine o'clock Eastern time which is absolutely ridiculous. L- let me ask you this, Chris, before we move on: Do you think NBC is trying to force uh, uh, more money where they can recoup some of the the rights fee for this package by doing these sorts of things, or is this just a natural evolution in what we would see in terms of? Give it a uh, price point and um, on-demand type programming because I'm, I'm quite yeah. quite honestly I've been confused by these moves the last few weeks. I, I think it's a little a little bit of both because um, there, I'm sure there's bean counters within NBCSN or bean counters or maybe that there's people in charge of the digital side of things in terms of the the streaming platforms. Um, and then there's other executives that are kind of just focused on, on, on the revenue that they're generating and looking at how much they're spending, which is almost a billion dollars for the rights to this over a period of six years. So it's a combination of that. I think, I think it's probably some pressure. There's definitely pressure on them to figure out are, are there different ways that we can increase the revenue to try to break even with uh, the, the money that they're spending on the Premier League. They're probably losing money um, in terms of the advertising coming in and any dollars coming in um, from streaming, etc., as well as su- subscription fees for, from the, the TV distributors too. So I think it's a combination. So it's one thing that, that they're focused on trying to, you mean, you know, trying to break even, which there's nothing wrong with that. And at the same time, the digital side of things, I don't think they completely understand um, the mindset of soccer fans and what their needs are and, and how they actually consume uh, the league and the, their favorite club and and everything that um, they go through. Uh, so I think it's one of those things where they think, okay, this is no big deal. I mean, we can make the games available at nine nine o'clock Eastern. They still have access to it, and um, they can wait a little bit longer and watch the game overnight, whatever. Which which completely flies in the window of, of reality of I mean, most soccer fans who are diehard fans of a Premier League club are going to look at this and go, this is absolutely ridiculous. This, this, is, this is not easy. This is not, uh, this is not a benefit to me, the consumer. This is actually, if anything, making, me, making it harder for me to figure out I mean, which service to subscribe to. It's more confusing and which is a good fit for me. And, and I'm sure, too, with NBCSN, they're probably like, hey, we, Comcast acquired Sky Sports. They've got all this great content. Let's go ahead and take a lot of this content and add it to the NBC Sports Gold, and they make this into a bigger product, and it's charged thirty percent more. People are going to love it. So I, th- I think it's a little bit of that. They just don't understand what the soccer fans are looking for and what they're wanting, and at the same time, they're fig- trying to figure out ways to make money. And it, it's it's not easy. I'm sure within NBC, there's a lot of pressure um, to generate more revenue because um, I mean the viewership has increased slightly. I think it's like it's about four hundred fifty-seven thousand on average uh, viewers for a Premier League match uh, from last season, which was an increase from about four hundred forty-four thousand uh, the season before. So it's inching up. It's not breaking into the millions where the average viewership is over a million, and, and now you mean more money is coming in from advertisers and sponsors. Um, so I, I guess it's. It's where things are at. And I guess at the end of the day, Kartik, it's, we've been spoiled because when NBCSN launched the Premier League coverage in 2013, every single game was accessible uh, for free through the NBC Sports Live Extra app. And um, it was great. I mean, it, it, and I think in many ways, now, now we're in the reality of the escalating fees for these rights, which is 
astronomical you know, the amount of money that, that companies are paying for rights in general. And it's just really hard to, I guess, when the rubber meets the road, and it's really hard to actually, you mean, make the money to, um, to, 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 to try, try to, you mean, make it a profitable uh, exercise in terms of what they're doing. It, it's very, very difficult. And at the end of the day, the consumers get get the get the heave ho and, and are asked to pay more money. So um, I think I think there is better ways to do this. I think there are ways to actually go to be smarter about this. And uh, I go into a lot more detail on, on the website on, on worldsoccertalk.com. On the homepage, there's an article that talks about um, how NBC Sports Gold could be the Netflix of Premier League viewing and, and some of the things it could do to make this more of a viable product that actually would generate more money for them and would satisfy the cord cutters and keep the TV viewers happy too at the same time. Um, but that's, yeah, anyway, so check that out if you want some more uh, insight and some more, some great comments from, from the listeners and readers on there too, uh, having some debates about it. All right, Kartik, speaking of the Premier League, um, some news in regards to uh, viewing audiences. Yeah, so the Premier League reached a global audience of 3.2 billion during the uh, 2018-19 season. That's last season. A 6% increase on the previous campaign boosted by a new free-to-air coverage by new free-to-air coverage in countries including Brazil and South Africa. So that always helps. Uh, that is something, of course, that you still do not have uh, and probably will never have in the United Kingdom itself is free-to-air coverage of the Premier League. Yeah, although with the Cricket World Cup, there's definitely been a lot of pressure on – a lot of it's on, on the politicians and, and people asking the politicians. Actually, reporters like Dan Roan ask some of the, the, the politicians, like, you mean, what can be done to try to get uh, free-to-air access for a lot of these games? And But but then at the end of the day, you know I mean, again, it comes back to money. It comes back to revenue if um, – if the Premier League can generate more money in rights fees from Sky Sports, um, why should it go to a free-to-air BBC or ITV and, uh, and get, for less money? And yes, it, it helps accessibility in terms of uh, making the league more available to more uh, TV viewers nationwide, but that does not help in the UK. Um, but the UK is very different, though, too, especially with a lot of those. I mean, all the games being played uh, within that within that country. So two more quick quick items before we move on to TV ratings. Let me just uh, run through these. This Saturday, July 20th, is going to mark the launch of a brand new sports soccer channel. It's one that you're very familiar with, which is the uh, Univision Deportes Network. It's going to be renamed to do, do the NA. And uh, so it's T-U-D-N. And it's launching this Saturday. So it's um, they're going to start with... Uh, uh, you mean the new logo, the new name, uh, but all the all the games that you're used to watching on Univision Deportes Network, such as Liga Mekis, which begins uh, the new season begins this weekend, begins begins Friday. Uh, on Saturday, the channel will be uh, to do All right, and then last but not least, uh, Turner Sports has announced that Kevin Egan will call TNT's broadcasts of Liverpool's preseason games in the U.S. with Charlie uh, Davis as the co-commentator. And uh, this could be a big hint, Kartik. I know that Kevin Egan, we, we reported this on World Soccer Talk, um, he moved uh, from being sports to Atlanta. And uh, this could be a good opportunity to, uh, for him to showcase what his talent and what he can do, which could potentially lead to maybe a longer-term contract with TNT and get more involved there. We've seen him, he can do the presenter role, he can do commentating, he can, do, he can be an analyst, he can be a sideline reporter. So there's uh, certainly a few ways that uh, Turner could utilize his uh, his great skills uh, if they want to. Yeah, I think he's one of the best in the business, and this is a, a great opportunity for him. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, Liverpool is uh, Friday uh, this week, so first first opportunity for him. And then I believe there's a match uh, the following Saturday against Sporting, correct, um, on TNT? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think the only one that's not televised is the game against uh, Sevilla, the friendly, and, and that one is on uh, BR Live. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Liverpool fans, definitely check that out, and, and, you mean, and, and fans in general. If you're not familiar with Kevin Egan, this is a good opportunity. And then that TV ratings, Kartik, we don't have a lot to go through, but uh, these three are very important ones because, I mean, the Women's World Cup is over. I mean, we enjoyed it thoroughly, of course, and we all know who won. But what, what impact did that have on the viewership? 
So, um, you mean, massive tournament on Fox, on, on FS1, etc. And going into the first week of programming after that, was there a sizable bump in the, the number of viewers? Well, the three games we have to look at in terms of uh, answering that question, one was Seattle against Atlanta on ESPN on Sunday. And those two teams, I, I don't think there's any question about it, are, are the two most popular teams in the United States for Major League Soccer. These are teams that are attractive to watch, have fantastic fan bases. And this game was on ESPN, which is the flagship network. And you mean definitely on a Sunday during prime time is great visibility there. That one had 452,000 viewers, which is fantastic. A fantastic number for Major League Soccer and for Seattle and Atlanta. Then you have FS1 who even before the Women's World Cup started, we've been talking about how the viewership on that network for Major League Soccer games has been slipping downwards, has been, for whatever reason, whether it's the talent, whether it's the timing, whether it's the coverage, whatever whatever it is, um, the viewership for FS1 games for uh, MLS have been poor. And they, here we have another familiar story, Kartik. We have a, a New York derby, you mean the Red Bulls against uh, NYCFC, on a Sunday, uh, which Major League Soccer headquarters must be thinking, okay, great, this is one of the biggest TV markets in the country, New York, and let, let's blow this out of the water. Let's have some big numbers here. 156,000 viewers. Uh, and for you and me, Kartik, that's no surprise just in, in terms of just how poor, uh, how, how lack, of, you know, lack of relevancy there has been about the, uh, the New York teams uh, nationally very people seem to care about uh, those two teams. And then last but not least, I want to get your take on this, Kartik. Um, Portland Thorns against Orlando Pride. You mean record-breaking numbers uh, on Spanish-language television for the Women's World Cup uh, final. Uh, approximately about 14 million uh, for the game itself. And then we have the, the first um, really big featured NWSL game, uh, Portland Thorns against Orlando Pride on, on ESPN News on Sunday, and that one had 77,000 viewers. So, Kartik, how do you read that one? Yeah, that's uh, with, with not that much promotion, but at the same time coming off the Women's World Cup, uh, I was hoping the number would be a little higher. Like I said, that's the only match I paid any attention to that was on television this past week. Uh, however, uh, that was a match without um, Lindsey Horan, Tobin Heath, uh, Alex Morgan, Ali Krieger. So you did not have the uh, U.S. bump. You did have Christy Sinclair making her return from Canada, from the Canadian national team to Portland and Marta making her uh, return from the Brazilian national team to Orlando. So you still had some big Women's World Cup names, maybe two of the bigger non-U.S. names in that Women's World Cup. Uh, however, uh, you did not have any of the U.S. players. So we will have to uh, hold out for another week or two to see um, if there has been a massive bump for NWSL, which is quite frankly what, uh, I mean, what most of us in the game in this country are hoping for is because uh, NWSL is a little bit on uh, on on shaky ground, as Grant Wall and others have reported uh, in the last week or two. Uh, as far as the ratings for the two MLS games, Chris, I mean, this once again, I don't know, I've been going on about this for seven years, seven or eight years, and been pushed back upon by people who are close to MLS HQ that you're much better off showing Seattle, Portland, uh, Atlanta. Well, now Atlanta, when those days Seattle, Portland, uh, Atlanta, Orlando. Uh, when Nashville comes to the league next year, I think when they announce the Charlotte team, which my sources tell me will happen in the next six months, a team in Charlotte, that'll be another big one. Tom Glick, who formerly ran Derby County in, in Manchester City, uh, or he was the COO at Manchester City, could be uh, 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 the, the person to run that club. That those clubs draw better ratings than uh, and have more fan interest and casual fan interest than the New York teams or the team in Chicago or the team in Philly or quite honestly the LA Galaxy at this point LAFC has done a lot of things right um, and with Bob Bradley they're the best footballing squad that we've seen in MLS I think in some time uh, however uh, they still, I don't think, have the kind of um, cachet in terms of moving the needle that Atlanta and Seattle do. So big markets versus not as big markets. Atlanta and Seattle are two fairly large markets, but they're not top five, top six markets in the country. Um, 
there's a difference in, in how MLS is perceived, and that's not changing. And, and it seems like that's actually being becoming more pronounced now than it was uh, five, six, seven years ago when I used to argue with people about this, when I began arguing with people about this premise that uh, if you want to keep your television ratings up, you show Seattle as much as possible, not uh, uh, the New York and L.A. teams. Yeah, one of the things that's difficult too for LAFC, and I've enjoyed watching them this season. I haven't watched them as much as uh, I mean some other fans have, but uh, when I have tuned in, it's been attacking-minded, attractive football, exciting football to watch. The challenge is, is that with the time zone, though, you mean so if you want to get a a really big crowd watching, a big TV audience watching, say LAFC against Atlanta United or something like that, and the game is play, being played in California, and uh, you're probably not going to get a 7, seven o'clock or 7.30 Eastern Time kickoff. It's probably going to be like the um, the game Friday, which is the LA Galaxy LAFC game, which I think is going to start at, I think, 10.30 or 11 o'clock at, at night Eastern Time. So you're cutting out the, the East Coast audience that are probably, most of them are probably not going to stay up that late to watch a game that's going to be over around about midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time. Um but yeah, yeah, it's 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 unfortunately the same old story with Major League Soccer in terms of and, and, and this partly goes back to Fox, but it's probably more of an MLS thing, is that they're not able to go ahead and transfer that audience from the Women's World Cup and all of the excitement and all of the promos and plugs and even talking about Major League Soccer and the ads and stuff like that. I mean the week after the, the viewing numbers are the same. It, it's it's no difference there. And, um, and and it's a similar challenge to NWSL too. NWSL was was the opposite. There was very little to no promotion of NWSL during the Women's World Cup, other than if it would be one of the analysts talking about it or mentioning. You mean you mean whether it's you know, Heather O'Reilly or or somebody else talking about uh, NWSL? Or, you know, I played against her, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And even with the victory parade too, um, you would have expected. Uh, you mean you mean somebody from NWSL to be on the podium to to talk about um, the league and encouraging fans to to watch it. Uh, it right, as of right now, it seems to be up to the players to talk about it or the fans to hold up little signs and banners saying, "Hey, you mean you mean I love uh, NWSL," which which doesn't help. At this time, at this stage, really, what you need with NWSL massive investment. You need. I mean, massive investors to come in to say, "Hey, we're going to make this into something. We're going to pour, I mean, millions into this to make this work. We know that there is an appetite for women's soccer, and it's almost like going back to the um, <clears throat> the end the NASL days, Kartik, where you had a Team USA playing in the the old NASL. You mean, um, I'm not sure that would work in these days. In some ways, it would work if you had a, a team USA women's team that performed in the league that played against Orlando and, and Portland and these other teams. But then you're diluting the the actual uh, quality and strength yeah, of the, other, yeah. the others. Um, but it's almost like kind of the early stages of American soccer on the men's side is where we're at with the women, except that they're the world champions, but seems to have very little relevance over, over the, the club game. It's a mess. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is Tim Keane. He says, uh, just read your article on the new Premier League pass. At first glance, it's really not what I want. But then I thought a little bit more about it, and maybe it is. I'm a Watford supporter, so I only really get to see the games against the Big Six on NBCSN. Unfortunately, Watford have a terrible record against the Big Six, so I end up being disappointed and turning off uh, the TV early in frustration. In reality, most of the Watford games are not televised, so I may be better off subscribing to the lesser service, which is the $30 a season, uh, and seeing most of their games. I would not miss the bumper programming, as they always focus on the big teams with hardly a mention of their opponent. The downside is that you have to watch it live uh, with no on-demand, but since I'm on the West Coast, the 7 a.m. hour is normally okay. So some good points there for fans of teams uh outside of the uh, the big six and you might be if you can get to watch games live uh at 30 dollars a season that works but the, ch- the challenge is how many of us can actually watch games live these days in our busy lives uh john average geek says uh the red bulls new york uh, nycf uh, nycfc game 
advertised a starting uh, kickoff time of 6.30 Eastern time. Now it's past 6.45 and still not kicked off. Can Major League Soccer and its media partners start games at the top or bottom of the hour or on time? European leagues start at the time listed. And this is something, Kartik, I don't know if this, if this is true of other American sports, but this is something that uh, Fox and well, it's, a lot of it's the U.S. games, U.S. men's national team games, is that they'll list the time. Uh, Fox has been guilty of this too, or even with Major League Soccer games. They'll list the time, you know, join us at whatever time it is for the game. The game doesn't start off for another half an hour to an hour later, uh, trying to suck you in to watch the, the pregame coverage and to boost the TV ratings and give you an opportunity or give you a reason why to watch the pregame. Is this something that happens in other American sports, or is this kind of a MLS-USSF thing, Kartik? I don't know. I don't know if it happens in other American sports. I assume it does. But it's um, it, it, it's quite a strange thing. I mean, we've had some uh, some... I know when I was at the NASL, we had internal discussions about this, that uh, we were annoyed that there was a team in our league that was doing the same thing, that was uh, starting the television broadcast. They would publish uh, a start time, give it to us at the league. Uh, of course, we were kind of more Eurocentric than MLS tends to be. But um, And uh, our commissioner, David Downs, was annoyed that they would kick off the match at 7.45 when it was uh, scheduled for 7.30, and we thought maybe five to seven minutes was allowed. Right. Um, But not 15 minutes. So there was a big uh, difference in how we thought, Okay, fans who watch the Premier League and that that was the guide for us. Right. If if a published start time is 3 p.m. BST or 10 a.m. Eastern time, the kickoff is at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Okay, maybe based on the U.S. culture, you you advertise 7.30 p.m. kickoff uh, and people are are funneling in and the game kicks off at 7.35 or 7.37, no later than 7.37. But 7.45 is 7.50, which was the case with this one team, uh, we thought was terrible and we made them change it. Now, I've noticed with U.S. men's national team games, U.S. women's national team matches, and MLS matches on Fox in particular, this is, this is what happens. Um, and actually, there was a game on ESPN recently, a women's national team match, prior in the run-up to the World Cup, uh, that uh, I want to say started at, like was advertised at 7.30 and started at like 7.52 or something like that was kickoff. And we heard a lot of lot of Ian Dark uh, pregame. So uh, if I'm recalling this correctly, so I, I guess yeah. this, this might be an American sports thing, but I, I think they take it to an excess with U.S. soccer and MLS. And, uh, I think, uh, and yeah, it, yeah to, to me, it's, uh, it's a bait and switch, and it shows a lack of respect for the viewer, which is in this case a soccer fan. Uh, trying to suck them into watching the game earlier. And, I mean, if the pregame coverage is good enough, you're going to tune in to watch it early anyway. Uh, and this is really misleading. And this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. Uh, Andrew Das from the New York Times is probably one of the most uh, well-known people for uh, posting the actual kickoff times of games on, on Twitter. We'll say, okay, you mean this game is supposed to start at 7.30. The actual kickoff time is 8.15 or whatever it may be. And it's become a running joke uh, because people ask him, like, hey, what is the actual kickoff time? But to me, it's uh, it's a bait and switch. It, that, that's all it is. Uh, Paul Jackiewicz yeah. says, uh, when it comes to the World Cup final in the Women's World Cup, it was obvious to me that the Netherlands were scared of the U.S. attack and took a very defensive approach and then hoped to score on the counter. Once the U.S. scored on the penalty, the Dutch had no choice uh, but to attack, which opened things up for the U.S., Anthony Bello says, hi, guys, uh, as a fan of every sport out there, I don't get the negativity when it comes to VAR. I think a lot of people are panicking by going, let's get rid of this instead of throwing out the baby with bathwater. Maybe we should take a deep breath and, and go see if we can find solutions to streamline the process. You could put a time limit on each review. Uh, say if you can't figure it out in a minute, the call stands. Instead of making the ref run over to the monitor on the sideline, you could put an iPad uh, hand it out to the ref and give each ref a smartphone where they can view the replay on. Heck, you can do what they do in rugby and let the ref view the replays on the Jumbotron. And if we, we are worried about the VAR picking the TV angles, why not broadcast to the viewer at home the conversation between the VAR and the referee? VAR in its infancy, when anything is new, people are going to complain. But I think there are sensible solutions for that to improve the flow of play 
make it more transparent and get the calls correct. So something from the last couple of weeks, or even last week, um, I watched a lot of Wimbledon. I watched the, the men's final, the women's final. I watched um, the Cricket World Cup final and um, some great sporting occasions, just re- really exciting stuff. But the thing about tennis and cricket is that um, VAR has helped improve t- those two sports. However, before VAR was even a thing uh, in those sports, um, there was a natural uh, kind of stop-start motion to the way that those games played. They were very slow, methodical. Uh, there are breaks. It, it, it was easy to add VAR into those situations to fine-tune the accuracy. You mean for those calls where it's so difficult to tell with the human eye whether those balls are in or out, uh, you mean, or you know, whatever. Soccer is a completely different thing. And while I like goal line technology, I think is the best invention ever in soccer. VAR, in theory, is a good idea with soccer. The more I think about it, the more I want VAR out and leave goal line technology in and hand it back to the referees to make the calls. Because even with VAR, and we've seen this too in, in the MLS games too, um, it's it's complicated in terms of what a clear and obvious uh, error is. Um, I mean, we saw too with the uh, the New York derby in, in Major League Soccer and a really controversial call about whether it was a throw-in or a corner that led to a goal. And you mean... So there are rules in place to prevent VAR from being used. Uh, either you use it all the time or you don't use it at all because otherwise there's always going to be more controversies. Yeah, so with MLS, um, Howard Webb uh, has been very conscious of this argument of keeping the match free-flowing and not constantly using VAR. Uh, he's in charge of, of MLS officials and was in charge of the implementation of VAR and uh quite honestly had said, I think now it's obviously the Premier League is finally going to uh, implement it, but he had left the UK and come to the US partly because the US is more open to to the use of technology. But he still um, is very reluctant. You know, there there were circumstances where even if there is uh, some doubt, it can't be used because he wants the game to to, to move on. I didn't watch the tennis or the cricket, so I can't really speak to this as you can, Chris. But those are sports with with lots of natural stoppages. I mean, cricket's a very slow game. Mm-hmm. Uh, tennis is actually a pretty slow game, too, uh, relative to football, relative to soccer. So um, I, I, I don't know that those are great examples. Now, the one thing you can take from tennis is Hawkeye, uh, which uh, w- was quick and instantaneous. Yeah. Um, was then applied to goal line technology pioneered by the Premier League and now in a number of different leagues. So I think that that that's fine. Um, now, not having VAR though is a is a drawback in certain leagues. So uh, those of you who may have watched my commentary of the Miami FC Chattanooga game, we had a record number, I think, a record number of viewers for one of our streams. But of course, it's because Chattanooga's one of the most popular teams outside of MLS and the game was here in South Florida. So a lot of Chattanooga fans were watching, but um, we had Chattanooga's goal chalked off after a, what was a two minute discussion between the center referee and uh, the AR, uh, the line lines person and the center referee. Uh, she had initially indicated it was a goal. The, the linesman or AR's flag, his flag had not gone up. Um, they went and conferred and finally chalked off the goal after a two-minute conversation without VAR. And what um, we found out from, from the center ref after the, after the match was she um, – the determination was made because a player interfered with play. Now, this is something that went, goes back to the VAR at the Women's World Cup. A player interfered with play uh, that was not the goal scorer, but a Chattanooga player who was in an offside position. She had to confer with her her AR to make this uh, decision. We had it all wrong on air. I'll admit this. Um, But at the same time, they still got the call right when we went back and looked at the replay after uh, without VAR. So it can still be done without VAR. Uh, However, the thing that was annoying was this was a two-minute stoppage without VAR. So I guess I'm making the case for VAR and against VAR in the same discussion. Uh, The point being it's it's a very difficult uh, gray area. These calls can still be made correctly, uh, but sometimes it takes some time. uh, And having VAR is an additional tool. However... I do think um, that the whole offside rule 
has to be clarified by IFAB and FIFA because um, the determination here was the player interfered with play, the Chattanooga player. I agree with that interpretation. However, based on that same interpretation, I believe, and I know I've gone on for this about this for a month, Chris, so I, I'm sorry, but the Sam Kerr goal for uh, or the own goal by Brazil against uh, mm. Australia should not have stood in the Women's World Cup, and the goal which Carly Lloyd interfered with, I think pretty clearly, the Tobin Heath goal, uh, or own goal, I guess it got ruled as U.S. Sweden should not have stood either. So I don't understand how they're interpreting uh, passive offsides and interference with play anymore, but um, in, in, in any event, there was a conference here, and they got the call right, in my opinion. So we know that this upcoming season for, you mean, the European leagues is going to be, I was going to say a blank storm. You can imagine what the word is. But, but it's going to be a, a mess because you have different leagues adapting uh, VAR technology in different ways. So the rules of uh, VAR being used in the Bundesliga are different than Major League Soccer, which is different than the Premier League, which is going to be starting uh, using VAR this season, which is different than Serie A, which I think League Earns also has it. So, so that's the thing about soccer is that in terms of the way that the rules are enforced, um, they're enforced the same way so that you, mean, you watch any game from around the world, it's, it's, it's the same game uh, for the most part, unless it's college or, or some, some, some strange kind of... Uh, you mean, but, but for the most part, 99% of it is, is the same. With VAR, for the viewer who's watching leagues and games from around the world... Uh, it's different rules applied in different different circumstances. So it almost needs to be that which God FIFA needs to step in to say, okay, right, this is this is how VAR is going to be implemented. Here's how it should be done, uh, which is a whole other mess in itself. In terms of, I mean, a lot of these leagues have the technology in place, and probably some of the leagues, the Bundesliga, probably thinks that they have the best VAR technology in the way that it works. There is probably better than other countries, so that you'd have. Uh, even in fighting to decide which technology and which way it should be, should be implemented, um, but it's going to this upcoming season is going to be a mess just because that's going to be the talking point, um, and I'm sure mistakes are going to be made, and that's what I was saying going back to before is either you go full in on VAR or you go completely all the way out and say okay forget it we're just going to use goal line technology. But Chris, the problem with the Women's World Cup was, and I. Re- re- reiterate this to people who are not thinking about it this way. None of the women who played, played in leagues with VAR this past season. None of the officials who officiated the World Cup officiated in leagues with VAR this past season. It was completely new to them and it was sprung on them in the biggest event of their lives. So uh, it's a little different than in the men's game where it's been tried and tested in these different leagues. I think uh, at the Euros next year, if they go full-on VAR, it's not going to bother us as much because the Bundesliga has now had it. This will be the fourth season the Bundesliga has had it. The Eredivisie has had it for four or five years. Uh, Serie A for like three seasons, and this will be the first year in the Premier League. But everybody would have dealt with it. All the officials would have dealt with it. So that's a big part of the blowback on the Women's World Cup. It isn't just, hey, we're all cavemen and we don't uh, believe in technology. It's not that at all. There were some other factors into why mm-hmm. uh, in this tournament, it was the wrong tournament to do it full on. That having been said, Chris, you made a very good point a couple of weeks ago that it was U.S. soccer media complaining that it was uh, inequitable or it was uh, a double standard that they used in the men's game and not in the women's game. Not even thinking about our country that MLS has had, was one of the pioneers in VAR in this world, uh, in world football since Howard Wedd came over in 2015 versus – or 2016, I think he came over – versus the women's game where we've never had VAR implemented in our domestic league. Yeah, and, and also with the Premier League that's starting up this season too with VAR is that uh, I'm sure that they're going through rigorous training, but even a lot of those referees too have never been using VAR before. Some of the, the better ones perhaps have been playing in some of the – or refereeing in some major tournaments, but for the most part, the majority of those referees are going to be going in cold on this one too. Uh, despite some of the training. And, so. and you saw they already reacted to the Women's World Cup because the the, uh, the use of you know, the, the issuing of yellow cards to uh, uh, keepers coming off their line, the Premier League already said we're not going to do that. So, right. uh, And that was a reaction directly to Scotland's elimination uh, in that group stage match against Argentina because there was a national outcry. I mean, I listened to mm-hmm. 606 that night from the BBC for 5 Live, and um, 
the, the, the intention had been to talk about the football, and it was an hour of VAR calls. Now, I, I, I understand that's the UK, and that might be their attitude towards technology versus the rest of the world or the US. But still, um, to me, that was pretty telling because England had, had advanced. They'd beaten Japan, who had been to the previous two world, Women's World Cup finals that very same night. Um, but Scotland's elimination was even on the minds of English callers because of, it was um, inflicted by VAR in their minds. So last up in the uh, comments, or actually the listener mailbag is Herb, and uh, it's a long message, so I won't read the whole thing, but he says, I know that you're very busy, but I was wondering if you heard about the updated CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, qualifying format. The hex is going to automatically oh, yeah. grant uh, the top six teams according to the FIFA rankings, and there will uh, be a mini-tournament among the rest. The top three in the Hex qualify for the World Cup, while the fourth-placed uh, Hex team will play the mini-tournament winner. And the winner of that series will play in, in uh, inter-playoffs with a CONMEBOL team, most likely. When looking at this update, I was quite upset. I honestly think that this format was built solely to make sure that Mexico and the U.S. don't struggle in World Cup qualifiers like they did in 2014 and 2018. Furthermore, as a Canadian soccer fan, I can't help but think this new format will only harm teams like Canada, Haiti, and Jamaica. So, Kartik, what's? I mean, this definitely has an impact on the TV viewing experience. Uh, I mean, uh, as, as, as of last year, I mean, I think both you and I mentioned uh, a couple of times that we had very big fears and doubts whether or not the U.S. may qualify for the 2022 World Cup based on the quality and strength of this team and how, how good some of these other teams are in, in a CONCACAF region, especially a lot of these players playing in Major League Soccer and improving. Um, there was no guarantee that this would happen. Does this make it a guarantee that uh, the U.S. Will, will make the 22, uh, 2022 World Cup? certainly makes it much easier for them. I, I completely agree with Herb. I think this is an absolutely ridiculous format that a lot of people in the last week, week and a half, have believed they will have to change. Now, they don't have much time to change it, uh, but it's it's hugely unfair on the nations outside the top six. Um, Herb, you mentioned 2014 and 2018, Mexico almost not qualifying, and then the U.S. not qualifying. I'll even go back to 2010 at the subgroup stage, the sub-hex stage, where Mexico got through on goal difference over Jamaica, and they end up qualifying for, obviously, no one even remembers that, that uh, in the sub-hex stage, uh, the, 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 next, the previous round, Canada was actually in that group and finished last, but Honduras won the group. Mexico and, and Jamaica finished level on points, and Mexico went through on goal difference. And, I, and if I remember correctly, there was a hurricane that went through Jamaica during uh, that uh, sub-qualifying, which affected when they played their home qualifiers. Um, so the, quite frankly, and then the U.S. actually struggled in the sub-qualifier for 2018 before they were knocked out in the hex. They were uh, they needed to beat Trinidad and Tobago in the final match in Jacksonville to get through. So um, CONCACAF is eliminating the possibility, even though the U.S. and Mexico have not been eliminated at that stage, they have been close to being eliminated at that stage. As I said, Mexico got through on goal difference once. Everyone forgets it because then they made the World, World Cup easily, and then they, uh, uh, they, they, they got to the round of 16 like they always do in the World Cup in 2010. Um, this is a complete sham. I, I cannot stress enough, and I, I'm not the only one out there uh, that really is disappointed by this. It's unfair, on hugely unfair on Canada, it's hugely unfair on Haiti, it's hugely unfair on Curacao. Those three nations in particular who, I think, with the way that those three have played in the last year, year and a half, are emerging as potential countries that could get into the hex and uh, you know play through the qualifying, get into the hex, and, and potentially grab third or fourth in the hex. Now, as far as uh, Jamaica is concerned, as of now, and again, I don't know how these FIFA World Rankings are going to shake out in a year. As of now, they'd still be in that, that top six. They are in the top six, I should say. So they might be okay. But I think the three countries really uh, screwed, I have to use that term, by this ridiculous qualifying formula, which I don't think any other confederation would try, by the way. It's so audacious, is um, uh, Canada... Uh, Curacao and Haiti. And additionally, Chris, you have to think about the commercial side of this. Um, CONCACAF, uh, they, they, they were the epicenter of the FIFA scandal. We've been told everything has been cleaned up. 
right, mm-hmm. um, in CONCACAF. But yet they continue to make these sorts of strange decisions like this. This is crazy. I mean, it, it, if you're looking at this on the surface, you have to believe there's some uh, nefarious motive for this. And they continue to have this relationship with Soccer United Marketing and holding every Gold Cup knockout stage competition in the United States from, from at least the knockout stages on. They had some group stage matches outside the U.S. this time. And they've just approved uh, a tournament, the League's Cup, uh, which I'm looking forward to. I'm going to watch. We talked about the TV on that last week, Chris. Mm-hmm. A, a tournament that is not going to include uh, er, the other countries of the Confederation outside the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. I mean, it's crazy. Can you imagine if UEFA approved the Anglo-Deutsch Cup? Right, you know, right. hey, let's have an eighteen tournament of Bundesliga and Premier League clubs. Forget you in Serie A. Forget you in the Eredivisie, uh, uh, etc. I mean, it, I, makes, it would never get approved. It makes it makes you wonder what happened in some of these. I'm sure uh, behind closed door meetings between Concacaf and uh, USSF in terms of the discussions that were had. You mean? I mean, we know that as of what six months ago, Carlos Cordero was talking about perhaps. Uh, the U.S. maybe not uh, participating in future goal, uh, goal Cups, whether there would be a future Gold Cup. Uh, yep. And that was pretty pr- pretty quickly kind of shot down by CONCACAF. So you make, it makes you wonder, I mean, what is, um, what is, I mean, CONCACAF obviously is giving Mexico and the United States a huge, a, a huge bone here. But what is uh, the USSF and uh, the FMF uh, giving in return? I mean, it, it just... Just really bizarre in terms of the, the way that this has uh, come out here, and um, and and that's the thing too. I guess at the end of the day, you I mean it, it benefits the U.S. men. Well, it does it really benefit the U.S. men's national team because it, it helps improve their chances of qualifying for a World Cup. Um, but does that help them in terms of you mean playing against stronger opposition? I mean, just playing within the region. One of the complaints I've heard is from U.S. fans saying we won't have competitive matches, really competitive matches. The Nations League is not that uh, in in a lot of people's minds. Now, it could change. It could be like Europe where suddenly we took the Nations League very seriously. But um, if we don't, then there is a fear that the U.S. is not going to get competitive matches except – in Gold Cup competitions until the hex. And here's the the other uh, uh, piece here. Cordero, in saying the U.S. may not participate in future Gold Cups, also talked about having this joint Copa America tournament, which Condeball said no thank you to. So essentially, the U.S. and Mexico are in this position where they're not going to get competitive matches. Sure, they'll be able to, to, to have more cash grab friendlies. But they're just not going to get the level of match or the level of tournament uh, that they need uh, going into a World Cup, especially now that qualifying has been made, at least in theory, significantly easier. And and even and not just in theory, but it is significantly significantly fewer pressure competitive matches now than you would otherwise. Well, well, the other thing, too, about uh, this in terms of um, the FIFA rankings is that um, and I can't think of the example right this second, but I know that in the past countries have looked at ways of you mean juicing up their rankings is playing uh, games against certain types of levels of teams to help improve the rankings. Wales is the classic example of this, uh, Chris. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. But oh, Wales okay. is the classic example. In, in what way, though? Like, how would they? Juice- well, so Wales, Wales, very strategically um, in the cycle leading into the 2016 Euros uh, and 2018 World Cup, very strategically scheduled. Uh, friendlies or no, no friendlies on open dates in order to boost their FIFA ranking. It's well, it's well known, um, and it, it was smart so, because so, so, it got them in a higher pot for both qualifying and for when they did qualify for the Euro 2016 tournament, a higher pot in that tournament. Although uh, they ended up in a group with England, which wasn't that easy, right? But they ended right. up winning the group anyway. But they strategically gamed the system, the Welsh FA. Very, very smart, um, and I think they're. Uh, countries in CONCACAF that will now uh, be looking at the Welsh example and saying, okay, although it's it's a little easier in Europe, right? Because their their competitive matches would be really competitive and would boost their their uh, rankings. And what Wales did is they didn't want to play um, friendlies that were going to drop their uh, FIFA World ranking that was attained through qualifying. So what they did is they they would just not play friendlies. In fact, going into one of the tournaments, right, wasn't uh, the Euro 2016 Wales played one friendly also. Um, instead of playing the, the kind of traditional two or three, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, this was part of the consideration. Uh, point being, 
now I think uh, CONCACAF countries will be going, uh, looking at those sorts of examples and gaming the system. And someone will game it pro- well enough to get into that top six and not have to, uh, and, and be in the hex. Yeah. That's my prediction. Yeah. And, and for countries like Wales or other countries, I mean, you could have uh, behind closed door uh, games against, you mean, you, you could have training camps and say, okay, we're just going to focus That's on what they camp. did, Wales. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's how they did it, and that was smart, and they were fine in the tournament, right? But they had essentially cut out the friendlies, played I, – I, I, now I'm remembering exactly what it was. Wales did not – they played nothing but competitive matches except for one or two friendlies. So the friendlies have some sort of point qu- quotient that weaken your total, right? Mm-hmm. Um Based and they, the formula might have changed since then, but the point is that they gamed the system and they were still able to get. They still got to the semifinals of that tournament because they uh, played those closed door friendlies, or they played a friendly against a club team, mm-hmm. and that doesn't count, right? You know, things that right. still kept them uh, sharp and, and uh, together as a team. Interesting. Well, there, there, there you go, Kartik. I, I always lo- learn something uh, from this podcast and learn something from you, so I, I didn't realize that. And uh, yeah, and it's relevant to the, the U.S. men's national team and, and uh, the Mexican national team, as well as the other teams from the CONCACAF region. So, so thank you, uh, Herb, for, for that question. Definitely some good, uh, good thoughts there. So if you have any good thoughts or you have any questions or feedback for us um, or um, have questions about streaming or cord cutting or um, watching games on television, uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and worldsoccertalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate that. And Kartik, heading into another weekend, we've got everything from the uh, the Premier League Asia Trophy Final that's going to be on NBCSports.com, as well as the Africa Cup of Nations Final, uh, Major League Soccer games, and uh, much, much more, uh, in- including NPSL games too. Uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs> <laughs>